Creativity is king, and what used to work for sales strategy is no longer the avenue to success. How to manage supply disruptions, selling virtually, keeping your reps incentivized. We've come full circle, and in medical technology, those who jumped into inside sales pre-pandemic found it a strategic advantage. But so many that made the move due to doors being closed during COVID have not found the same success. So how do you turn the corner? On today's episode of the MedTech Business Academy, we'll hear from the MedTech experts as they discuss the current trends, how to do it well, best practices, and the ability to stand out from the rest of the noise. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, So we're going to continue getting our MBA here with the MedTech experts. And we were talking right before we started about how much has changed on the sales side of things. Um, and how much things are changing and how dynamic things are today. And so we thought we'd focus the, the conversation today about what's going on. What are the trends that are happening? What are best practices in the space? And, and sort of what do you do to set yourself up for success, knowing that we're in this wacky world that we're in? So um, today I'm joined by a number of other uh, med tech experts here, and um, we're going to get into it. So Skender, you were outlining a little bit of a framework about what you're seeing and what kind of challenges that are happening. So love to hear from you. And then Mike, I mean, this is about as close to your wheelhouse as you could possibly get. I mean, this is what you do. So um, maybe you can come in and first of all, tell us all the things that Skinner has wrong, which is probably going to be a lot uh, Mm because he's from New Jersey. And um, secondly, uh, we'd love to get your thoughts as well. That'll frame up the conversation. Yeah, I'll I'll try to keep it short so I can yield more time to the Ziploc King because I hate taking away (laughs) time. Um, But yeah, so what we were talking about earlier is uh, some of the trends that we're seeing um, at at the time of this recording uh, regarding, you know, there's everybody's trying to get creative and we're seeing that across the board, small companies, large companies, and they're trying to recreate how they do things. I think some of the things that we have coming out of the main part of the pandemic was, hey, there were some things that we did there that worked. There were some things that we used to do that worked. There were some things that we used to do that didn't work. And there were some things that we did in the pandemic that didn't work. So how can we find the right model? And I'm, I, what we're seeing, and we talk to a large breadth of customers from enterprise to small, is we're just seeing this like more of a trial and error, unlike we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And some of it's great, right? It's really good to hear people being like, I'm willing to try new things. Yes, we are a multi-billion dollar conglomerate, but maybe we didn't have all the answers that we thought we did. And there's some things, and then the other side of it is, and this is the thing that I think caught everybody of interest, is even in the massive organizations, they're actually throttling back their sales because of all the supply disruptions So now they've got to figure out how do they, if they can't, if they're having trouble filling current customer orders and they can't take in new customers, how do you, A, keep sales reps engaged, incentivized, and wanting to stay on? B, how is that fiscally responsible to still keep this heavy sales organization if you're not paying them to do what they're supposed to do? So it's really an interesting time. And one of the things that I remarked about was the fact that inside sales now, it's like we've come full bore. I'm hearing more and more customers talking about, hey, I think we got to put an inside sales part into our organization. I I frankly don't think that they know what that means. So what's really funny, Skinder, is, you know, that people are still even saying, hey, I think I'm going to try it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Seriously. What were you doing for the last 
two years, right? I mean, if if for the last two years, if you haven't been selling virtually, what have you been doing? Probably not growing your business, losing money, and now you're hanging on by a string, number one. Number two is the folks pre-COVID that jumped into the inside sales game, we're crushing it because it was such a strategic advantage. And the reason why med tech and healthcare didn't jump on inside sales like the financial industry did, like the copier industry did, like many, the tech industry, all those industries, have they sell millions and billions of dollars and never actually see the person. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, medical is different. And I'll tell you what's different. It's the old cronies who are the VP of sales and the CEOs who grew up and, you know, I like to press the flesh. You know, <laughs> people need to see you and and all of this nonsense that's their belief system. And so they literally have and continue to hold back their organizations because of their own prejudice about how they like to be sold. Now, that being said, there is a segment of the market that still enjoys face-to-face. -face. You have buyers that won't use the phone, they won't communicate with technology, and they, they don't want any part of this process. They are far and few between. But those people, you're gonna have to go see and they have to warrant the business and the expense and all the effort that it takes to, to go see these people. So at the end of the day, you know, for those of you who are thinking about it, yeah, you should do it. And for those who are doing it, I think what you're experiencing, and I can speak to this uh, at many different levels from capital equipment to software to disposables, it is 10 times harder to sell in this environment than ever before because of, we've talked about this on other podcasts, the shortage of, of clinical labor and the shortage of staffing going on in the hospitals. They don't have time to talk to salespeople. Uh, yesterday, I was in Yonkers at a hospital that uh, we had set the appointment up for my client with the chief operating officer of the hospital. And he took the call from my folks that we set up this appointment for, it was a falls prevention uh, system. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, how many calls do you get from inside salespeople just cold calling you now. And he said, it's unbelievable how many calls they're getting. And I said, how many are you actually taking and how many are actually getting through to you? He said, maybe one per week. Hmm. So if you're thinking about doing inside sales and you think you can just hire somebody and go wing it, without a professional process, technology, and what have you in this environment, you're better off not doing it. You have to commit like anything else to do it and do it well. Mm -hmm. Tom, you have some thoughts. So I, I'm just listening to, to Mike and Mike, that was really um, insightful and helpful. Um, and, and I'm wondering, you know, I'm thinking about that one call per week that gets through. And I'm wondering about what are the best practices? If we had to say, you know, what are the top two or three things that if you're planning to launch into this or you're thinking about virtual selling 
or maybe you've already been in that environment and you're, you're not getting through. What makes the difference? Why, why does the one call get through and the others don't? So what, what should we be thinking about to up our game? That, that, that's a fantastic question because uh, I asked that question to that gentleman as well. And the reason why was because our messaging was gearing towards eliminating clinical labor and eliminating nursing time, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so obviously they're having a problem hiring nurses. So what this solution actually does is it reduces the need for staff. Uh, they call them sitters where they actually hire people to watch the patient. And so they can't find these people because uh, nobody wants to work for 15 bucks an hour and sit in the hospital. They're just having a problem finding those folks. So what resonated with him was the fact that this solution could replace human beings mm -hmm. and could eliminate, not, not in its entirety, but eliminate a lot of the, the folks that they have. So I think, you know, clearly, if you're going out and you're framing a cold call message right now and you want to get people's attention and you want them to take the call, you have to solve their biggest problem. You have to be talking about something that is absolutely in the forefront of their mind. Because if it is, they're going to they're going to absolutely take the call. If it's not, they're not going to take the call. So number one is it's got to be positioned to the decision maker to solve a big problem that's on their plate. Number one. Number two is. I'm also working with a client with some basic IV supplies, things like tubing and uh, pharmacy testing and things of that nature. And with that particular program, it's just a supply issue. We have supply and it's really hard to get. And so again, both calls are bringing value. It's I'm addressing your biggest problem or I'm, I'm addressing a shortage issue. If you're not doing one or two of those things, I think it's gonna be really difficult in this environment if it's just, I'm a me too company. You're happy with what you have already. I'll knock the price down a nickel. I don't see that working. So uh, that's really good. And, and uh, if, uh, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm thinking about this clinical labor component, right? With not only is clinical labor hard to find, but when you find it, it's at a price of two or three X what it was 18 months ago, right? So with that particular company, or if a company's going down this pathway, what type of evidence do they need? I mean, you just can't say, well, gosh, we're going to save you, you know, nursing labor. We're going to save time. What type of clinical evidence should they be armed with to help back that statement up? So again, relative to the particular product or service that you're selling, you have to have that financial argument and you have to be able to speak it and you have to be able to prove it. So in the example with this particular falls prevention situation, they're spending roughly a half a million, this hospital was spending a half a million dollars a year on these sitters. And then when the sitters weren't there, they had to substitute nurses. And so it was messing everything up there. This technology solution is going to eliminate uh, the need for these sitters, alert the nurses when there is a need to be alerted and the cost of the, the half a million dollars that they were paying in salaries the cost for this system will be around $75,000. So that's why, by the way, they bought it. I mean, I was there. And so I watched the pro from the cold call to the close with my client. And it was, and the process, by the way, we talked about how things have changed. This is another interesting thing. 
Mm-hmm. What we're seeing really effective is the first thing you do is you set up a meaningful 15-minute phone call, not a Zoom meeting. Just get somebody to engage in a meaningful conversation. Then the goal of that meaningful conversation typically now is a Zoom meeting. And then after the Zoom meeting is done with, in this particular case, the COO of the hospital, then we set up a demo for his entire falls committee. So then the the CNO was there and the director of neurology was there and so on and so forth who was on the committee. So then the live meeting took place. Then it made sense to fly the rep out. And so I see that, you know, you talk about best practice right now, you cannot waste time. So the phone should be used as a qualifying tool and an appointment setting tool then use technology to really dig in and see and super qualify the account. A lot of times you can close with virtual technology. If you can't, then move to a physical meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we see that a lot, right? I mean, as you think about um, most of our, so again, we've got 20-ish medical technology companies that we're working with right now. The vast majority of them have this kind of a model, right? Where they've got a, a senior salesperson who, right, we're running mar- we do marketing, right, for medical technology companies, a lot of digital stuff to get a Zoom meeting. And then after you've actually qualified and gone pretty far down the process, then you go and actually meet them face to face. And, you know, they may be down the road or they may be, you know, on the other side of the country. But, but I, think, I think we had a shift in people's mindsets on the customer side. Like, I'll tell you back when I was, um, at Mercy and, you know, I was running sourcing and, you know, later as when I was doing innovation, people would always want to come and like meet with me. And it bugged me to no end. Cause I'm like, dude, I don't want to meet with you face to face because it's an, you're, you're going to get an hour, you're 30 minutes of my time, whatever. Well, yeah. But then there's like 15 minutes where you're sitting in my, you know, you're there early cause you're a good sales guy. Right. And then like, I got to show you out and be polite. So that 30 minute meeting ends up being an hour. And I'm like a super nice guy, right? And so like, I'm going to talk to you as you're walking out the door and it just basically screws my whole day up, right? So <laughs> just just let me have a 30-minute conversation with you and I can figure out if I'm interested or not. And, and the other thing that you can do is, you know, I think, I think part of the, I think part of the, the whole like press the flesh uh, thing is people feeling like there's value, like I can, my, my presence in your room is going to make you, want to buy my stuff, but we're talking about $75,000. We're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for you know, a given um, customer or whatever. It's not that one guy or gal who's making the yes or no. And so, and they're super intelligent people, right? And so if they can't do their own analysis and come to the right answer without you having to be in the room, then you're probably not going to have a lot of tenure in that account. So that's just the biggest thing that we've seen is like, this is a model that works, you know, whether it's surgical instrumentation or it's false prevention or whatever the case might be like, this is what people want. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. So Scott, let me ask you just out of curiosity, because um, so many sales reps uh, are still afraid to pick up the phone. Right. And, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering what, when, if you got a call like that, what would make the difference? I mean, you don't want to hear a script, right? You want to hear somebody that, that knows a little bit about your system or your institution or, or your department. 
what type of research should they have done? What would you like to hear when you pick up that phone call and you get somebody like, you know, Tom on the end of the, the line going, hey, Scott, I've got a, a really cool idea I want to share with you. How do, how do you, what, what garners your interest? Um, it's, it's about aligning what you have to my values, right? To what's important to me. And ultimately today it's about staffing and it's about supply, right? So if I was back running sourcing at Mercy um, I, and, and you had a call, just like, again, like you're good at this stuff, right? So you came in and you're like, hey, you guys can't staff. We can help you address that issue. You got my attention, right? I'm in. If you could say, hey, look, by the way, you don't have supply to be able to maintain your ORs, right? I got a solution for you. You have my attention. It's, I think one of the things that's really valuable is to understand, um, to have empathy for the person on the other side of the phone and to shift your, and this is good salesmanship, right? But to shift your solution to my needs. Because if you're coming in and you're saying, hey, we can prevent a fall, and we're just using your example, Mike, right? If you can, I can help you prevent a fall. A fall costs you $75,000, $100,000, or $17, whatever the number is, right? We can prevent one. Like, okay, yeah, that's important, but that's not my, that's not my thing. My thing is I don't have a, you know, we had a big sitter program at, uh, at Mercy, and we actually had a telesitter program because we did a lot with virtual care. And I guarantee you we're having, again, I don't know this for a fact, but I'd be willing to bet you money. There's a hard time finding people just sit there and watch a bunch of computer screens, right? So there's a lot of value, but it's got to be the right need that is important to me. And, and what Scott is saying is 100% correct. But Tom, there is one thing I do want to highlight, and that is one of the biggest issues and problems that inside salespeople have is pre-call prep. Mm -hmm. You don't need it when you do it right. And let me, so, right, so everybody thinks, oh, I got to prepare. So they go on LinkedIn, they check out the person's profile, they figure out what college you went to, uh, they look at the background because, and that's all good basic salesman stuff, but here's the issue. Now you pick up the phone, you dial it. What do you think your odds are of, of getting in touch with that guy? Probably slim. Right, it's, so most of the time you're not going to talk to him. So now you've wasted 10 minutes prepping for this call. So now you're making what? Six calls an hour and you've talked to nobody. So that is not, so, and then this is what, again, what people who don't understand the game would do because that makes sense conceptually, but it's not practical. So how do, you, how, do you how do you practically do it? Well, what you do is, let's take the falls prevention uh, just because we're, we're talking about it. You get all the COOs or CNOs, you buy a list of those people. You buy a list where you get the direct dial phone numbers in where you know you're getting right into their extension. You frame a message that is scripted but doesn't sound scripty, talking about how you just helped another hospital that is a signature hospital that builds credibility to who you are that you've achieved a certain outcome and help them solve a specific problem that most likely they are encountering. And so, and you, and you, you said you, you take that message and you just dial until you get somebody on the phone 
And now you have the perfect message that like Scott talked about designing, but you're not wasting a lot of time looking at pre-call stuff that will work where you should do what you said, Tom, is when you get the appointment made, now go out and do that pre-call research and do all that good stuff, but not on the cold call. You know, I, I've got a question for, for Mike and Scott here, because you guys both yeah. referenced something. You talked about how some of these, a lot of your newer clients are, are developing these, let's call them agile Salesforce infrastructures, okay? A little bit more digital marketing, a little bit more inside sales. What does the executive team look like? Can you can you characterize and and put a, a stereotype on what that executive team looks like and how it's different from other maybe executive teams for organizations? Is there I, a I difference? Mean, I we say that they're they're young and and not old guys with a lot of gray hair. Um, that, I mean, I'm just I'm joking around, but like our our clients tend to be younger because a lot of times you know we're talking about different kinds of marketing techniques that were done in the past. And I think there's a self-selecting bias. I don't know, Mike, what do you get? So I would tell you old people suck. <laughs> <laughs> but old, but I will tell you that old is not an age. Old mm -hmm. is a mentality. Yeah. And so the key commonality between my clients whose biological ages are between, you know, 25 and 75 the common thread is they are all learners. They're all on top of their game. They're yep. all looking at what success, who is successful and what are those successful companies doing? And they're open-minded to always evolving. We are in a generative environment. What used to work, even in inside sales, I am telling you what I love is I'm having to recraft things that I was doing that I was set it and forget it for years because the model was working. Now my model needs to be tweaked. Like for instance, IVR is a big deal. Hold times are a big deal. How long do you hold on an IVR before you transfer? What, you know, there's a lot of things that are eating up time that most normal people wouldn't think about. But when you're obsessed about getting a result, those are the things you have to do to outperform everybody else. So what's, what, great, what great, what's great about the, what the, the people that we're talking about is they're all open-minded, they know they need to do something different. Yeah. What's an IVR? What's that stand for? Um, you know, it's funny. I don't know the actual acronym, but it's the machine that picks up the phone that says, uh, hi, you've reached Hackensack Hospital. Press okay. one for this department. Press two for whatever. And that'll keep it. So there's a lot of companies right now that obviously use that technology. And you could mm -hmm. be on hold for 10 minutes before you even talk to a live person. Okay. Yeah. I, I would, I would echo, echo, I would echo it as well. I would echo what you say about um, uh, the mental age of, of clients. I think, I think we definitely see a, um, a, a dichotomy. There's like a group of people that just like want it to end. It's like, I've been in this nightmare and I just, I just want to retire. And in fact, if you look at the data, right, we hear a lot about the great resignation and that sort of thing, which is driving a lot of the trends that we're living with. It's folks like that. It's folks that are like 62 years old. And they're like, well, I can figure out how to make it work if I just leave now. And that like, we have conversations with those folks on a semi-regular basis. And it's almost an immediate no. They're just like, I can't conceive of growing business through email and social media. Like, absolutely not. And then, yeah, like the, the other folks, age range doesn't matter. But um, 
it's, it's very much like they're willing to, to, te- they understand they have to do things differently. Um, so it, one of the things I thought was really interesting, Mike, is what you just described in terms of what, like your lack of pre-call planning and or rather like what you're doing is like, get the message down, that sort of thing. It, that's basically what marketing does, right? Totally. When we're sending out, here's a, here's a little tip for everybody. Um, cold email is a, is a much more effective tool than you think it is, right? Literally just sending out messages to a list of people, probably even the same list that, that Mike described of, you know, the, the people that you, that you do. And, and there you have two paths. And again, some people go super, super specific where they're like, Hey, I researched what you're doing at Virginia Commonwealth university hospital system and blah, blah, blah. Like, and you spend a ton of time on that. And that can be somewhat effective, right? Your, your connection rate is going to be higher, but the volume goes out as much lower. The other way is just crank on a standardized message that you, you believe is going to resonate with the value propositions that, that the recipient's going to have. Know that you're going to get an open rate of 15% and you're going to get a click-through rate of 8%, right? Kind of industry averages. And that's a lot more people. And you will find that your hit rate is going to go up in terms of the actual number of opportunities. And then, yeah, then you do your prep, right? Because they're going to respond back. Oh, I'm interested in doing in what you're in learning more. Great. Now we can go in and we can actually do the prep to figure out what's going on in your organization. But the, it's a, it's a numbers game. If anybody's ever been in sales, you've had that beating in your head, like it's a numbers game. And so don't worry about hit, batting a thousand every time. And the behavioral scientists now say everything comes down to that five to seven points of exposure with the name and the brand. Right. And I think that's where we are today is somehow getting your name, your brand, your product in front of people seven times before. And Mike, you said it before, right? It's, it's one of those things where you're not asking for a Zoom call on moment one. You're like just asking, let me legitimize this mm-hmm. and then let me get a Zoom call. Right. It's that, that's three points of exposure. That mm-hmm. three points of familiarity sinks into that subconscious of maybe this isn't so scary. Yeah. Well, and when you build such a strong message, Uh, like we have with falls prevention as an example, then we took that same messaging system and I contacted Scott, right? And so Scott and I are now, we're running the calls and we're running a LinkedIn campaign and we're using basically the same content that my people are verbally saying. We've just changed it to the LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I have one rep that... Scott's working with that was happy. We were having a little bit of a tough time in his area, getting him going. Well, guess what? I think he's got, we've been doing this now two weeks and the guy's got like 10 really good opportunities lined up through this this LinkedIn initiative. And then Mm -hmm. we're taking that same thing and we're running that same messaging through email. And so when you have a strong message, people need to see, hear, and feel it a number of different ways. And that's the success. That's the way to really, there's mm-hmm. not one way. You should not do just marketing this way or that way. Right now, it's got to be a surround sound kind of uh, environment. Yeah. So, so, Mike, in that environment, then when when does the rep actually pick up the phone? Right. You've got the email campaign going. You got the LinkedIn campaign going. You know, you, you see your open rate. Um, what's what's the timing? Is is there a timing, uh, or is it just you pick up the phone and dial at the same time? No. So, so basically you're, it's all running parallel, but when somebody opts in, whether through Scott's messaging on LinkedIn 
whether it's we get them on the phone or they respond to an email, once that person flags in and says, I'm interested, now it's set up the phone call. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. You know, another thing you can do that um, we've seen a lot of value with is just sharing things. So proactively, um, right, if you have a white paper about false prevention or you've got something about product X that you think, hey, this might actually get somebody's attention, be proactive about sharing it. And, um, and, and you can do things like, for example, if you're sending out a cold email sequence and you happen to be running HubSpot, well, instead of attaching the document, have a link that you then store. So now you can see who's actually opening your emails, who's clicking through, and then you follow up, right? So you do something one time and you can spread, you know, I don't want to say spray it out, but that's what you're doing, right? You're sending it out to thousands of people and you're just looking for those, um, those people that actually engage. I'll tell you, and this is a, a maybe a little bit dated, but um, one of the things we had a client in the cardiology space and they had a remote EKG, fascinating technology. And um, right, we started working with them right when COVID hit. And um, we had a little bit of a, of a, a jostling with the client because they want, it was an, a, a non-US company that was coming in the United States. And um, they had a specific target to go to and they really wanted to focus in very narrowly. And what we said, hey, was, look, we'll focus on those people, but let us just be really broad, right? Let's, let's talk to all cardiologists, not just certain cardiologists at academic medical centers. And we, we, we crushed it because what you're doing, because you're hitting the numbers, you're able to get so many more at-bats and you're going to find that the people that like new technology, whether it's false prevention or cardiology or cardiac monitoring or whatever the case might be, are not always at the flagship locations, right? They're not going to necessarily be at Mass General or Brigham and Women's or whatever. They're going to be in a private practice down the road because they don't really care about publishing or they want to do their own thing. Like those people exist. And by the way, they'll buy your stuff and they don't have the same rigmarole of having to go through a value analysis committee and this and that, and the other thing, like they can do, they can move much more quickly. And so the idea of kind of what Mike's describing and what I'm talking about is you want to find people that can buy your stuff and buy it quickly assuming you have, you have product, right? Um, but but that, that's what drives revenue growth in, in meaningful manners in a, a kind of a weird environment like this. It, it's funny you say that, Scott, because we recently had a couple of conversations with some uh, prospective clients about the fact that we were talking about their advisory boards. And everybody does a great job of having their advisory board and getting all their information from the chief of surgery at, at Johns Hopkins and Duke mm -hmm. and Mayo Clinic and all that. And the thing that we told them is, but you're building a sales organization, right? Are you only selling to those three hospitals, Mass Gen, et cetera, whatever it may be? Like, no, those are the top 1%. Mm-hmm. What are you doing for the everyday man surgeon? And I'm not talking about a, a nobody. I'm talking about somebody who is senior, very successful, very good at what they do, but maybe practices at a 300-bed hospital in Iowa. Mm -hmm. They can't afford, and they aren't given the same capabilities as the chief of surgery at Duke. And yep. so what are you doing to build your organization, your value proposition to them as well as everybody else. And that's when people kind of go blank. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the whole root of what we're talking about today is having a dynamic sales infrastructure, having yep. a dynamic marketing infrastructure that isn't like the old one where if you're a startup, we raise $10 million, we hire 200 reps, 
um, in 35 cities and we have overlay and this is what we're going to do and, and this is how it works and maybe we have one marketing person uh, to, to print out brochures um, the whole time right? um, and that's the way it was and you know I mean you guys have said it the, the mindset today is how can I be more mobile how can I be more flexible how can I hit them where 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 they ain't um, and try to get more more nimble well, and I think, Skinner, one of the things that you said that I want to magnify is when, when you're scaling a message, whether you're scaling it through digital, you're scaling it through email, or you're scaling it through an inside sales cold calling initiative, the big mistake, another big mistake that people make is they run that same message to everybody, right? And, and one of the things you have to do is you have to customize the message to the audience, right? So for instance, my client base is everything from a GE of Thermo Fisher Scientific Siemens. I have a lot of iconic large organizations. And I also have, hey, you know, John and Bud just started a company and they have a great idea that's going to help diabetes patients, right? So if I'm going to market my company to John and Bud and I talk about GE, they're going to be like, you, you don't understand my issues. GE, my issues and GE issues are two different things. And he's right. So when I market to these guys, I have to speak in their language, addressing their issues. And obviously, if I'm going to GE, they're completely different as well. So in your marketing, as you're scaling, you, you, you group customers and you do your messaging to those customers. And that's a very efficient way as opposed to what typically people do is load up all their customers and shoot them the same message, which is really only relevant to some of it. Yep. And, and that, and that tears that, that does more damage than it's not just neutral, right? So if you think about it, um, if you're, if you go in and you're like, G, we work with GE, we work with Thermo Fisher, we work with Medtronic, whatever. And I'm, it's like Tom and me, in a startup in my garage, we're immediately gonna be like, you're gonna cost too much or you're not gonna know what our problems are. And so you do have to be mindful about how are you, how are you doing this? And you know, we talk a lot about um, personas, right? If you think about personas, cause you could go the other way, right? You could be like, holy cow, everybody's a special little snowflake, right? I need to talk, I need to know everything about everybody. No, 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 like that's not the answer either. It's more about what are the big chunks of people where if you said something, you're, you're going to get interest. So if you're thinking like, for example, we've got a, we've got a company that we work with, um, fantastic group of guys uh, and gals, uh, but they basically serve both critical access hospitals and large IDNs. And so there, the language differs, right? Because the kinds of things that are going to be important in a critical access hospital is going to be things like you're going to be able to take care of your population, right? Staffing, because that's an issue in more rural areas, like those kinds of things versus IDNs where it's like, it's about efficiency and it's about like productivity. That's the kind of level of, again, correct me if I'm wrong or guys, you know, if y'all have different opinions, but like that's how far down you need to get. Don't get down to like individual hospitals, right? Correct. Tom, you've been awfully quiet and, uh, I know uh, big rivers flow deep or whatever the, whatever the <laughs> thing is. No, I mean, you got, you, got big thoughts. you guys run, but um, you know, part of what I, what I'm thinking with all this too is, you know, kind of coming back and making sure that you're buttoned up with the right type of data, right. And making sure that you know what those outcomes are going to look like. 
because that's a real important part of this because at the end of it, when you finally get that customer, you've got to be able to address the what's in it for me question, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I think, you know, the conversation has been very good, but I would just make sure that anybody listening is thinking about answering that what's in it for me and then having a third party proof source to be able to define what that really means and how that's going to help them in terms of outcomes or dollars or return on investment. Tom, I don't think, you, I don't think that you could have said anything more important than that. I mean, that is very true. And I mean, the reality is, again, I'm, I'm putting my, my provider hat back on. I don't believe anything that a rep comes in and says, if he doesn't or she doesn't have data, right? In, in God, we trust the rest bring data. That, that's kind of the mentality of it. And so um, you're absolutely right. And you only get a certain number of shots on goal. So you know, what, one of the things we were recommending this um, to a client that they go through is to sit down and actually chart out your new sales process, right? And, and I personally believe like sales and marketing is like, it's a blended process now. So think about what are the steps? And here's a homework assignment for anybody who wants to get better, uh, who's listening in. Go through the process of, okay, what are the steps that your customers take to go from knowing, not even knowing you exist to being a rabid customer? Um, and not just, by the way, making the first purchase, but like repeat purchases where it's, it's a trend. So what are those steps? And then what are the assets that you need to have and the activities that you need to do in each of those steps? Again, do it from the customer's perspective. So that once you do that, what you're going to identify is there are a lot of, a lot of big gaps, right? And there's going to be a lot, there's going to be huge gaps in terms of third-party data that's going to support you, right? There's going to be gaps in terms of the, the assets that your team has um, to be able to support that activity. Or you're going to realize, uh-oh the client is having, or the prospect is having to learn about your product and there's no easy place for them to go. There's no easy person for them to turn to, that sort of thing. And that becomes your marketing plan and your go-to-market plan for the next 12 months is fix all those gaps. So to me, like that's one of the most important things that you could do if you're running a med tech company or you're head of, um, of commercial or whatever the case might be, is to run through that process and then identify those gaps. And um, I know we're Coming right on it, Tom, you had something, then we can maybe give some, some party. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, just in terms of some closing thoughts with this, and I'll, I'll tease some of yeah. that off, and that you know, that data and that closing the gap, really what it does for the, the buyer, the customer, and what it does for your investor is de-risk, right? Everything you can give them that shows them that outcome and that information helps them de-risk that purchase. Yes, absolutely. Great point. Skander, what do you what do you have to to say to wrap it up? Yeah, I'd say you know try to forget about the things that worked yesteryear. Try to look forward to and be be willing to try new things in the new year. And don't always think that you have to eat that elephant all at once. I think that that's a big misnomer in our in our industry. Is if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it big. Instead start thinking about, hey, let me just try this, but try it right. Like Mike said, all those companies that are putting up these inside sales organizations, like I'm just going to try it. Yeah. It doesn't work unless you do it right, but it doesn't mean you have to go out and have hire a team of 18 sales inside sales reps on day one. Start with one, get that right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mr. Ziploc. <laughs> so 
you know, I, I was always enamored with like Warren Beatty and um, John Mayer, like these guys in Hollywood that they date like every supermodel and every actress, right? Mm -hmm. And you wonder like, how do these guys do um, For the kids, that's Harry Styles and- Pete, Pete uh, Davidson. It's Pete, Pete Davidson. Davidson. Yeah, right, there you yeah. go. <laughs> right. Thank you for the reference. What's really funny is I did a reference the other day with Johnny Carson and it was like, what are you really talking about? Dude? Anyway, thank you for that. Um, but my point is, you know, and uh, these guys, you know, what's the key? And the key is getting the first one. Once you get the first one, then it's like, what has this guy got and what does he have? And it just opens up this mystique. So I've always applied that in a business perspective. So, you know, my first goal was always to get GE or a Siemens, because once I got one of them, then I could say, hey, I've dated and I work with this person and so on and so forth. And there's a lot to learn from a relationship with your customer. So my point in this whole thing is whether it's a big company, a big hospital, a physician, a that's somebody that you've solved the problem. And if you've thrilled them and you've really done it, find people just like them and they will be interested in you. Yeah. I think George Costanza used to walk around with a picture of a model in his wallet to show people that was You know, You know who else was known as someone who dated a ton of supermodels back in like the 70s? <laughs> Henry Kissinger. Get out of here. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious, guys. I'm dead serious. I'm literally listening to a pod, like a, like a series of podcasts. And, um, and they're talking about like how he was like voted America's sexiest man in like 1972. I'm not, I'm dead serious. This is not, well, I'm not the is, only one that thought he was sexy. Then. Yeah. I mean, he's, a, he's a man, still alive. Also a war criminal, but nonetheless, but nonetheless, um, the, just kind of finding thoughts. I, I want to echo kind of what the what the gurus on the um, on the podcast have said. It's about it's about doing something. It's about having a plan, sitting down, having enough planning to say this is what we're going to do, what we think is important, and then testing and learning and understanding that you're going to go up and and try some things and it, they will not all work. Like the, that is the reality of it. But you will learn some valuable things to move on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing that will get you to be an expert in a very short period of time. And you can learn a lot more from getting punched in the face than you can from reading a book. So go get punched in the face. So, unless we have anything else, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Listeners, thank you for making it this far. Now you know some wonderful things about Henry Kissinger and some other things about how to grow your business. So hopefully you've enjoyed this session of uh, earning our MBA with the med experts. Thanks everybody. As we learned today, you need to come to the table with the financial proof to back up your statements. The biggest secret to success? Frame your products in what's in it for me statements for the person on the other end of the phone and solve their pressing issues. Engage them in meaningful conversation, then get them to commit to a meeting, virtually. If that goes well, we move into in-person meetings. We no longer have the time or capital to spend on meetings that don't materialize return on investment. Tune in next episode as we cover the recession is coming. What's the big deal? We look forward to having you there as we continue to earn your MBA with the MedTech Business Academy.